did you learn how to pray? And who taught you? Do you remember? Most of us probably don't remember, right? I mean, we had people before we had any idea what they were doing teaching us, now bow your head and thank Jesus for your food. You know, they taught us that first prayer that most of us learned, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Or maybe if your home wasn't quite as classy, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. But all of us have had... um, all of us have had parents, probably, or Sunday school teachers, or grandparents, or somebody try and teach us how to think about prayer, and how prayer works, and why prayer is important. But I'm going to just make a guess, a total shot in the dark, that since you are from the great state of Alabama, one of the most important lessons you ever learned about prayer came from the great poet and theologian Garth Brooks. Because I know every one of you not only know all the words to Friends in Low Places, but I also know that you have all heard that song, Unanswered Prayers. And if you haven't, the song is about Garth and his wife go to a high school football game one night. And while he's there, he runs into his old high school sweetheart. And he reflects on how when they were together in high school, he prayed and prayed that God would let him be with this girl forever and ever. But God, in his mercy, apparently made them break up and then gave him the wife that turned out to be very, very better for him. Is that the way prayer works? Does sometimes God just ignore the things we ask for because he's going to make us break up with this girl so we can get to better girls? Is that what God's really doing? Is that the way prayer works? Maybe, maybe Garth was on to something, but I kind of think we should we'll just pause and think before we take our theological cues from a guy who also had a song called, I'll Be Under the Table Before I'm Over You. So, how, how, do, we, how do we think about prayer that goes unanswered? Or is prayer more like the Janis Joplin song, Oh Lord, won't you please buy me a Mercedes Benz? Is prayer just this toy that we have to get the stuff we really, really want from God? That's the way a lot of y'all think about prayer. And that's the only time you ever pray, isn't it? Is when you feel like, man, I've really got to get something from God right now. And some of you maybe have tried to pray that way before. Like you've been trying to pray about certain things and it seems like God is not answering you. And you're wondering, well, what did I do wrong? Or why is God doing me wrong by not giving me what I'm praying for? Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is going to teach us about prayer And he's going to show us that prayer is not a toy that we use to get things we want from God. But he's going to show us that prayer is the primary tool God will use to turn us into the people Jesus wants us to be. That prayer is not primarily about what you get. But prayer is about God turning you into the person he wants you to be. I want to show you that in Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount Through this summer, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can follow along. We've got the words on the screen for you, or you can look over somebody else's shoulder and read from their Bible. They probably shouldn't mind too much. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. When you found it, let's stand and stretch our legs and honor the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, begins with the word, Ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You can be seated. And I believe the Lord is going to honor His Word in our hearts and our lives today. Now, if the Sermon on the Mount really is the best sermon that's ever been preached, then it should revolutionize the way we think about God. Because the best sermons do that. The best sermons challenge the way we think about God. They make God appear transcendent. They make God appear majestic. They make God appear as glorious. They make God out to be God. But they also go beyond just making God out to be transcendent. They also make God imminent. They make God seem near. They make it as if God is not just this distant fairy tale figure in the pages of some Bible story, but God is deeply connected to our lives, that God is deeply concerned, yes, with our problems, that He is invested in the people that we are becoming, that God is a good God. And Jesus has shown us all of those things throughout the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, one of the things Jesus teaches in this text and all throughout this sermon is that God is our Father. He's a good God who has a good heart for His people, who cares about us, and will do what is best and what's right for us. And God, Jesus is teaching and preaching that through the Sermon on the Mount. But there are parts of this sermon that also seem kind of harsh. Jesus tells us we have to fight our natural impulses towards anger and revenge and bitterness. We have to fight our natural lustful desires. Jesus tells us that we have to love our enemies. He tells us to quit playing games with God and to quit using religious activity as a means to manipulate God and other people. That's because Jesus is presenting himself here as our true king. He is the king to end all kings. And his reign in our lives will not will not allow for any kind of competition, either from our money or from our anger or from our own desires. Jesus says, I will be king and I will call the shots. And if I'm calling the shots, this is the kind of person you need to be. And that's what you see in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's a fair amount of tension in this sermon, isn't there? You see all these good things about God, but then you see all these high demands from Jesus. How can you bring those two ideas that seem to be in tension, how can you bring them together? I think the answer is right here in this passage. Where Jesus is going to teach us about prayer, and he is going to show us that prayer is the tool that God uses to make us into the people that King Jesus demands we become. That it is prayer that transforms us into the kind of people that are living with Jesus as our King. In other words, this text we've read this morning in Matthew chapter 7, it's kind of like the rope that ties everything together. Everything Jesus has taught before and everything he's going to say after it, it all kind of ties together through his teaching about prayer in these verses where he says, ask and you will be answered. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you because God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So today, what Jesus is saying in this text is that if you really want to live this kind of life that he's talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to have to pray. If you're going to live better, you've got to pray better. And that's what I want to talk about in our time together this morning. I want to talk about praying better to live better. And I want to draw three principles that Jesus gives us about prayer from this passage of Scripture. And I think that if we really get them, not only will it change the way we pray, so we'll pray better, but they will also change the way we live so that we live better. And here's the first principle. All of you need to know this. be good for you to write this down somewhere. The first principle is you can't do this without prayer. Like, really, you cannot do this without prayer. Now, as I read the Sermon on the Mount, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I read this sermon as somebody who preaches, as somebody who prepares sermons. I just can't help it. And as I read this sermon, it seems to me that Jesus is just a little bit disorganized in the way that he preaches and teaches. 
Remember back in chapter 6, he's already talked to us about prayer. Remember that? He said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the Gentiles. He said, here's how you pray. When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he moves from that to talk about the sin of materialism, to talk about the sin of worry. Last week you studied together while Brother Corey preached. You talked about the sin of being a judgmental hypocrite. And then all of a sudden he goes back and says, Oh, yeah, and here's one more thing about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seems like Jesus is being disorganized. But I have to take it for granted that Jesus knows more about preaching than I do. All right? So when I, when I came to prepare this sermon from this passage, I thought... What, what, what's the deal here? What's, 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 what's happening? Then it dawned on me. As a preacher, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is getting ready to end his sermon. He's coming to the conclusion of the sermon. Y'all know what the conclusion of the sermon is, right? That's when the preacher says, and finally, and before we go, and one last thing, and then preaches for 25 more minutes. That's the conclusion. It's where he wraps up everything. He gets the musicians to come. He says something, and everybody gets to go home. Jesus is at that point in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the conclusion to the sermon begins with the familiar phrase in verse 13, enter into the narrow gate. Jesus says, in other words, I have preached everything I've said to this point. Now, understand, there are only two ways for you to live. He said, you can live a life that may stretch you. You can live a life that may cost you. You can live a life following me where you are going to have to lay aside everything else that makes you comfortable. And the end of that kind of life will be eternity with me. Or Jesus said, you can live an easy life. You can live a comfortable life. You can live a life where you are accepted and loved on a broad path with plenty of company. And Jesus says, that broad path most certainly leads somewhere. Then he says... This other illustration, he says, if you hear my words and follow them, you will be like somebody who digs down deep and builds their house on a good foundation. He said, and when the storms of life come, he said, when the storms of God's judgment comes after life, he says, you will be dug down deep and you will be safe. He says, or you can reject my teaching. You can build your life on the whims of the culture. You can build your life on religious traditions that are disconnected from me. Or you can just do your own thing and ignore all of that together. And Jesus says, it's like building your house on the sand. And when the hurricanes come, you are going to be swept out to sea. And before he says all of that, to connect what he will say in the conclusion with what he has said in the body of the sermon, Jesus gives us these words about prayer to teach us this. The only way you are ever really going to walk this path, the only way you are ever going to build this kind of life is if you pray. He says the way is too hard. The way is too steep. The journey is too difficult. The trials will be too many. The battles will be too fierce. The temptations will be too strong. The questions will be too immense. At some point, you will have to become a person of prayer because you cannot do this in your own strength. And it's in prayer where you get beyond your strength and tap into God's strength. Okay? Just think of the immediate context. What did, what did Pastor Corey teach y'all last week? He talked about the verses before this where Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. He says, don't be a hypercritical judge of other people. Don't be a hypocritical judge of other people. He says, don't make more out of other people's sins than you do your own sins, which is what all of us do, right? But then Jesus also says, as Brother Corey taught last week, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't throw the holy things to the dogs. So Jesus says, don't be a judgmental jerk. But do have some discernment. You need some sanctified common sense to get through this world. So how can I be discerning without being hypercritical? How are you going to do that? Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. You need to pray. 
child of God, you simply can't do this without prayer. There are too many struggles, too many burdens, too many needs, too many hurts, too many temptations, too much grief, too many challenges from outside and from within. You need to pray. And some of you are realizing that now as you are under spiritual assault. Your family is being attacked. You're struggling. You're exhausted. You're tired. You wonder, how can I keep going? Jesus says, ask. This is how you do it. Prayer is when you stop relying on your own strength to be what God wants you to be, and you tap into His strength so that He makes you into the person He intended for you to become. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's this great passage of Scripture. You probably know it where Paul talks about the armor of God. And he lists all these different things. He says, you know, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers and authorities and all that. Take on the whole armor of God. And then beginning in 14, he lists what that is. He says, stand therefore with, you know, the belt of truth, the word of God, breastplate of righteousness, all of this. He lists all of these things. But then at the very end, verse number 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. What he's saying there, I think, is that prayer is as it were, the secret weapon to the Christian life. Some of you wonder today what you're missing. You're saying, I'm checking all the boxes, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian, and yet I find myself so exhausted and so stressed and so stretched, and you think, what's missing? What's missing is probably prayer. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. See, we have this, this huge disconnect somehow in our minds between the way we enter the kingdom of heaven, the way we begin our walk with Jesus, and the way we continue our walk with Jesus. So how did, you, how did you come to know Jesus? The details may be a little bit different. But for all of us, ultimately, what happened is that we came to realize our own sinfulness. We got tired of living the life we were living, and we realized there were eternal consequences facing us because of who we are. And in that moment of desperation, God put faith in us to see that Jesus was the only solution. And whether we vocalized it through prayer or whether we cried in our heart or whatever, we embraced our own helplessness and said, Jesus, I receive everything from you as a gift of grace. You said, Lord, I have nothing to offer you, but I receive everything you will give me as a sinner who needs help. Yeah. Friends, that's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And yet now we think, okay, I've done that. So now it's on my willpower. It's on my strength. It's on my ability to be a good Christian. It's on my ability to read three chapters in the Old Testament and one of the New Testament. It's on my ability to be at church three times a week. It's on my ability to be a Proverbs 31 woman and Ephesians chapter 5 husband. It's on my ability to be in this Bible study every week, to be accountable, to take good notes. And now I'm going to have it made until I get to heaven. You are crazy if you think you can do all of that in your strength. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, ask, you still need help. Friend, God's plan for you in your walk with Him is that you live every day of your Christian life the same way you lived that first day as somebody who has nothing to offer and receives everything as a gift of God's grace and God's power. And if you don't do that, what you're going to find is what some of you are finding out, that you are exhausted, that you're stressed, that you're worn out, you're overwhelmed, you're comparing yourself to other people, thinking, man, they're so perfect, they've got it all together, they're so spiritual. You're going to find yourself thinking, you know, these other people, they really don't have it together as I do. Not realizing that you have a huge problem with pride, the only way you can do this is in the strength of the Lord Jesus. How do we live this life? You ask for it. Because in asking, you are admitting your complete inability. And God's total ability. Before we move on, let me just say a word to us as a church family. 
Sharon Heights, we are a busy church. We are a busy church. We had a staff meeting just a few weeks ago and we talked about this. If you come to Sharon Heights, we will work you to death. We will. We will work you to death. There are a lot of good things we do at our church. There are a lot of good things we want to do here. We want to reach our community. We want to see people's lives changed. We want to see God do impossible miracles through us. We want to worship God. We want to grow in our relationship with Jesus and in our knowledge of the Word. But church, we are fooling ourselves if we think we can do that just by packing out our calendars. We are fool. Listen, my calendar... In my desk drawer, it looks like a ballpoint pen exploded in that thing with all the different stuff that we have to do here at the church and all the stuff we have to do to get ready for the stuff we have to do and then the cleanup for the stuff that we just did. And if we think that just filling out a calendar is going to help us accomplish anything eternal, we are crazy. We can't do any of these things without prayer. When we work and we plan and we strategize, we get what we can do. When we pray, we get what God can do. Jesus says that's true for your church, but it's true in your life. Pray that God would make you into the kind of person God wants you to be. Live with a hopeful and a humble posture that God hears and that he answers. Live day to day with the awareness of your weakness and God's strength. Because it's in your prayers that God's strength interacts with your weakness. His grace interacts with your need. And his ability to provide marries your inability to provide and you can go forward as a child of God. So you can't do this without prayer. Seriously, you can't. Second principle I want you to get today. Jesus uses the word ask. He likes to be asked. That's the second principle. He likes to be asked. Jesus says, if you're struggling with assurance about your relationship with God, come to him and ask. You need direction, things in the future aren't clear, come to him and ask. Find yourself falling into the same old temptations year after year? Come to him and ask. Jesus is trying to instill in us this determined confidence that we would continually come and ask for every single thing that we need. In fact, the words that he uses there, ask, seek, knock, those words are present imperatives. What that means is that Jesus is basically saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He says, do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's how the Bible teaches us to think about prayer. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives a story about prayer. And the point of the story was that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, you see there that we should pray without ceasing. God wants us to be people that are so confident he hears us that we are continually coming to him and asking and seeking and knocking and beating down the doors of heaven until we get what God wants us to have. Now, to illustrate that, there's a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus teaches this same thing. But before he teaches that phrase, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find not going to be open, he gives a parable illustrating how we ask and what it means to ask. Here's the parable. Luke 11, 5 through 10. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Then the same thing he says in Matthew 7, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So here's the parable. A couple buddies are involved in this story. Buddy number one gets a knock at his door one night. And he's got another buddy who's come from out of town, and apparently, you know, they've been traveling a long way, and everybody wants a piece of toast. 
And he says, man, I don't have any bread. The store's closed. There's no way I can feed you. The light bulb goes off when they go down here to my other buddy's house. And so this buddy, who's the central star of the the story, he's asleep with his family. Everybody's crashed for the night. And they're all startled by this furious pounding on the door. And it's buddy number one saying, hey, man, I need you to get up. I need three loaves of bread. I got to have this. I had this guy just show up, and I don't have anything to feed him with. I need three loaves of bread, man. Hey, 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 listen. All right, wake up. Let me in. Give me the three loaves of bread. And what's the guy say? The guy says what anybody would say. Get off my property before I shoot you off. He says, look, he says to him, he says, man, look, my kids are asleep. And you've got to remember back in the day, Jesus was talking about very, very poor people. These people didn't have a lot. And so typically everybody in the house slept in the same bed. All right, like you got mom in there and dad in there and juniors in there and little sisters in there and baby juniors in there. Everybody's in there. And that's why these people got married when they were like 13. They said, we can't handle this weirdness anymore. We got to get out of here and get our own place. I mean, thank God we don't do that anymore, right? But so here's this guy, got the whole family stretched out in bed, right? And he's got little kids asleep in there. And I promise you, if you've got little kids in your house, you don't want people bothering you when they're asleep, do you? Because if you wake them up, we will kill you. And we will not feel guilty about it. We'll be tired, but we won't, we won't feel bad about it. And that's what he said. He said, dude, if you wake these babies up, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to twist your neck off its shoulders. No, man, i got to have this bread. Listen, give me the bread. Open up. Give me the bread. Why would this guy give him bread? I mean, I sympathize with this dude. He's asleep. He's got little kids. He don't want to be bothered. It's the middle of the night. And besides, somebody, I live by the rule that somebody else's lack of preparation does not create an emergency on my part. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe that. I said, dude, I'm sorry you ain't got anything to eat. Hang tight in the morning and go get a biscuit. You'll be fine. Apparently that's not going to work. And so Jesus says, you see it in those verses, that, that it's not because he is his, his friend, because they're not friends by this point anymore, yet because of his impudence. That word means his shameless desperation. The man will give him what he asked for. Jesus says this is how you should think about prayer. Now, does that mean that God is asleep in heaven not listening to us? And if we knock, and if we knock, and if we aggravate him and aggravate him, then we can finally aggravate him so much that he will give us a bunch of stuff that he didn't really want us to have? Are we supposed to be the pesky neighbor? Is that what that means? No, here's what it means. Jesus says it is human nature for us to do things for people if they get on our nerves enough. If they pester us enough, we will do what they want just to get them off our back. Jesus says, how much more then will your heavenly Father who really does love you who really does care about you, who really does know your needs and have the ability to supply all of them, how much more does he actually want to help you and want to take care of you? Jesus says, therefore, because your heavenly Father is not asleep, because he's not preoccupied with things more important than you, because he is not distracted from what's happening in your life, how much more should you have boldness and courage to come before him and not with every need that you have? Jesus says, come because your heavenly Father invites you to come. It's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter number 4 when he says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. With confidence, knowing that we are welcome, knowing that we are invited, that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And that's what you have in this passage in Matthew 7 and in Luke 11. 
where Jesus teaches the same principles. He says, listen, you are invited to come as often as you need to come. You are welcome to come anytime you feel the need to come. He said, you are encouraged to come. We have made a way and we have given you promise after promise that says, please come and bring us your needs. You've got promises here. Have you considered all the promises of Scripture? That are guarantees that God hears you and answers you when you pray. That's why that Garth Brooks song gets on my nerves. There are no unanswered prayers. I mean, sure, God may look down at Garth and his girlfriend and say, no, man, we're going to hold off the truth of Yearwood comes along. He may say, you know, I'm not going to do that. He may say no, he may say wait, or he may give you what you pray for. But God does not ever not answer his people. He always answers his people. Matthew 21, 22 says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus said in John fourteen thirteen, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. John fifteen seventeen. if you abide in me and my works abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. First John five fourteen through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, I'd underline that part, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, ask, because I like to be asked. There's this great story in the C.S. Lewis book, The Magician's Nephew, that emphasizes this point as, as well as anything I've ever read. The Magician's Nephew is... Uh, the first of the Chronicles of Narnia books. It's kind of the prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in it, these kids are sent on this mission by Aslan the Lion, who's supposed to be, you know, the picture of Jesus throughout the books. And they find themselves kind of alone one night without anything to eat. And they sit there and talk to themselves, and they say, now, wait a minute, Aslan, he's supposed to be taking care of this whole thing. Why didn't he give us something to eat? Surely he knew we were going to be hungry. Why didn't he take care of us? And one of the characters said, oh, I know he was able to provide, but I had the feeling he likes to be asked. Our Father likes to be asked. Why? Because when we ask, when we ask, the world is reoriented right side up again. As we remember, He's God and we are not. It's when we ask that we are reminding ourselves that He is the one with the ability to provide. That it's in His hands. When we ask, we are coming and saying, Lord, I can't. But God, you promised you would. When we ask, we are saying, you have the wisdom to help us. You have the power to take care of us. You have the grace and compassion to care for us. That's why we ask. Prayer is not just about what we say to God. But prayer says, prayer itself says something about God. It says he's able and he's willing. He likes to be asked. But here's the third principle I want you to take from this text today before we finish. Prayer is a family conversation, not a business transaction. Prayer is a family conversation, not a business transaction. Jesus wants us to ask. So he says, look, which of you, as an earthly father, and he says, you know, you're evil. He's not, he's not picking on them. He's not being mean. He's just saying you're sinful. You're imperfect parents. None of us get it right all the time. He says, but even with sinful hearts, he says, if your son comes to you, and asks you for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a rock sandwich. He says, if he comes to you and asks you for a piece of fish, you're going to give him a snake? Now, first of all, there's something wrong with any kid that comes to you and asks you for a piece of fish, because kids don't ever do that. 
I don't know what kind of kids these people had, but they come and ask you for a piece of fish. What are you going to do? Give them a piece of a snake and a hot dog bun and say, here you go. No. You're going to do the very best you can to give the very best that you have. And the point's clear, isn't it? That God is your Father. He's perfect in all of His ways. He will give you good gifts. That's how Jesus says it in Luke 11. He loves to give good gifts to those that ask Him. So come and ask. Because He's your Father. Because you're in a family relationship to Him. Listen to me today. Please understand this. God is not in business with you. God is not in business with you. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that. Y'all know how business works, right? In a business transaction, there are certain obligations you have as the customer and certain obligations that the business has as the provider or whatever they do as the business that if you hold up your obligations, you can reasonably expect them to hold up their obligations, Right? That's the way business interactions and business transactions work. It's like this. Let's decide that after church today, I want to go to Jack's and get some fried chicken for lunch. Y'all, Jack's fried chicken ought to be the state bird of Alabama. I'm just telling you. I don't even think I need to pray about it. I think the Lord wants me to go. So I'm going to go to Jack's. I'm going to go to Jack's and I'm going to get me some fried chicken for lunch. Now, if I'm going to do that, I'm going there as part of a business transaction. And there are certain obligations that they have on me that I have to meet or I'm not going to get any fried chicken. One of those obligations, I assume, is that if I go in there without no shirt on and no shoes on, I'm not going to get any service. Kenny Chesney said, no shoes, no shirt, no problem. Jack says, no shoes, no shirt, no chicken. All right? So if I meet the obligation... Of going in there covered, I look like somebody and I act like somebody. The next hurdle is I've got to pay for my food. So I say I want the fried chicken with mashed potatoes, gravy, green beans, and a biscuit. Somebody say amen. And they say that's going to be whatever it is, seven fifty or 8 bucks, whatever it is with tax. And I give them that money. I have fulfilled my obligations to them. Now, it comes their turn, right? Their obligation to me is to give me some fried chicken. But let's say... That for some reason, as it happens from time to time, they forget about me. And they move on to take care of your milkshake and your hamburger. And my fried chicken just gets lost in the shuffle. Somebody else, or somebody else gets my order, or it gets sent out to drive through, or whatever happens, happens. I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to act like a Christian for about seven minutes. That's about my limit. And after a while. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to get aggravated, and if it gets bad enough, I'm going to demand my money back, and I'll never go back to that Jacks. I'm going to go to the other Jacks. I should have went to the Jacks of Mount Olive, not the one in Fultondale, right? <laughs> Why? Because they did not hold up their end of the business obligation. They did not fulfill their side of the transaction. Listen, God is not in business with you. But that's the way so many of y'all think about prayer. You think, I've been being good, so now God owes me. I fulfilled my side of the obligation, so now God has to give me what I asked for. I've prayed this good prayer. God has to answer it. Friend, God is not in business with you. He is your Father. He's not always going to give you everything you ask for, but He's always going to give you what's right. He's always going to give you good gifts from the heart of a good Father. He's always going to give you grace, and He's always going to give you mercy. Why? Because that's how family works. 
Family always does what's right, even if you don't hold up your end of the obligation. Even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain. I mean, good gracious, you've got people in your family, probably like mine, that are only a few years away from living in a cave and dragging their knuckles on the ground. And yet you still take care of them. If they need something, you try your best to help them. Why? Because you are in a family relationship. You're not in business with them. No matter how many times they let you down, no matter how many times they break your heart, you're still there to take care of them, right? Because that's what you do with family. It's family. It's not business. Jesus said, remember when you pray, you're praying to a God who is your father, not a God who's managing jacks. You're praying to a God who cares about you, who loves you, who gave his son for you, who will always give you what is best and will always give you what is right. Now, Matthew 7 is not a blanket promise that God will give you everything you ask for. I'm going to get some of y'all shook here, but it needs to be said. There is no verse of Scripture in the Bible, properly understood and interpreted, that says God is always going to give you everything you ask Him for in prayer. None of them. Because a good father does not always give his children everything they ask for. Why? Because he's, our, he's the father. He knows better than they do. And sometimes he knows that he's going to do us more good by not giving us what we prayed for than giving us what we prayed for. So, I would encourage you now, the very, very best you can, just to lean hard into the fact that God is your Father. And if you've been praying and praying and asking and asking and asking and you don't seem to be getting what you're praying for, just embrace the fact that God is your Father and accept the fact that He's not going to give you every single thing you pray for. But here's what I can promise you today. God will not always give you everything you pray for. But God will always give you grace. Always. God will not always give you everything you pray for. But God will always give you everything you would have prayed for if you knew what He knows. If you could see what He sees. If you understood it the way He understands it. If you had the perspective that He had, and then you prayed from that perspective, that's what God's going to give you. He will always give you what's right. I wasn't going to tell this story because it's embarrassing for me, but I think it makes it clear. When I was a little kid, I remember distinctly going to the Roses Department Store in Marion, North Carolina one night, and they had on the shelf from the TV cartoon show, The Transformers, they had on the shelf the Optimus Prime semi-truck transformer. And this thing was sweet. And in that moment, I'm, I'm five or six. I'm a little guy. I'm five or six, and I think that the future of humanity depends upon me getting Optimus Prime. Now, growing up, we didn't have tons of money. And, you know, in the early 90s, 50 bucks was a whole lot more money than it is now. And I begged, and I pleaded, and I argued. I probably didn't pitch a fit because I knew they would beat me and leave me for dead in the toy aisle at Roses. But I did everything that I could to leave with that Optimus Prime. 50 bucks. My mom and dad said no. You know why? Because as young parents, they understood that $50 was better spent in groceries than it was in toys. I didn't have any idea about any of that then. But now I understand. As my parents, they understood that I did not need to expect in life to get every single thing I wanted all the time. That sometimes I needed to be told no. And they told me no because they were good parents. Now, I will just say, for what it's worth. And I went on eBay and looked at them things. Now those things in the box sell for 600 So they would have came out ahead. 
Hey, I'm telling it right. So, long term, they would have came out ahead. Whatever. God will always give you what's right. So lean hard into the understanding that God is your Father. You know if you're a child of God today, you know that God has been faithful to every promise that He's ever made you. And if there's some promise that He hasn't kept, you know that He will until He keeps the last promise to take you to be with Him forever. You know that He's going to keep every promise. You know that every morning in life when you wake up, you wake up to unending compassion and new mercies. You know that His goodness and His mercy, they follow you every step of your life. You know that He has power working for you that knows no limits. You know that His love is not measured by the circumstances of your life. His love is not measured by how He answers your prayers. His love is measured by what He offered for you at the cross. You know today as a child of God that there are prayers after prayer after prayer that He's answered for you before. And you can look back over your life and you can say, God was faithful then and He'll be faithful to me now. And what's more, what's more, you can look back over your life, yes, like Garth Brooks, and you can see where God did not give you what you asked for and did you a favor by not doing it. And you can, from where you sit right now, see how God has blessed you with things that you never had the sense to pray for. Isn't that amazing? Some of the best things God has ever done for me, I never would have thought to pray for them. God has answered for us prayers we've never prayed. So what do we do? We ask. We come and we say, God, here's what I need. We pour our hearts out to Him in confidence, saying, Lord, I know you will answer. I know you'll give me what's best. Child of God, if you need a miracle today, ask Him for it. It's what He does. Now, He might not give you the miracle you want, but He will give you exactly what you need. If you need today, and some of you do, if you need direction and you need guidance, beat down the doors of heaven until He opens the door and makes it clear. You say, well, Brother Jesse, I've been praying about something, and I'm just tired of asking. Ask louder. Learn Spanish and ask in Spanish. Keep asking. Some of y'all feel today like your life needs a new start. You've been so far away from the Lord for such a long time that you can't feel His presence when you worship. His Word seems dead to you. You pray sometimes, and it feels like there's just nothing happening. Ask Him. Talk to Him about it. Knock. Knock and keep knocking and keep seeking. If you're tired of asking, ask him. Ask him again. Come and ask him why you're tired of asking. If you want him to use you in your life to make an eternal difference in this world, ask him. Have you realized how little we actually ask him to do? If you want him to change your family, ask him to do it. Say, I have asked him. Ask him again. Keep asking him. If you're angry. And some of you are today or depressed because of grief in your life. Ask him to help you through it. If you're wondering where he's at, why don't you come ask him? If you've been assaulted by thoughts and fears you can't control, ask him for victory. Some of y'all are just lazy and you don't want to serve the Lord. Come ask him to help you quit being so trifling. I would ask. Now, I'm going to leave it there, brother. I'm going to ask this. If you had today, if all you had today was what you asked God for yesterday, what would you have? If all you had today was what you asked Him for yesterday, what would you have? Most of us wouldn't have much, would we? Just because we don't ask for much. And I don't know why. 
I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm just knocking it out of the park on this because I'm not. I don't ask him for much, really. Especially when I consider his heart for me and I consider his resources and his ability to provide. Man, I don't ask him for much at all. I need to start asking him for more. Knowing I may not get everything I ask for, but knowing my father's going to give me what's best. Knowing he's going to give me what's right. Some of y'all need to ask for some big stuff. It seems really, really big to you. Just remember, you're not in a business transaction with him. He's not in business with you. He's your father who loves you. And he likes to be asked. And you're not going to make it through this without praying. So come ask him. Come ask him. Others of you need, you really need forgiveness today because you've been walking away from the Lord for such a long time. You've got a lot of sin in your life. I'm glad that the Bible says that if we confess our sins, forsake them, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come ask him to forgive you. He'll do it. If you ask him in faith, he'll do it. Some of you need direction. You need help. You need comfort. I just tell you to come ask him. I just tell you to come ask him. And I know sometimes we talk about coming to an altar and praying about something and leaving it there. I don't know if that's what you need to do today or not. Maybe what you need to do is come pray about it and then pray about it some more on the ride home. And then pray about it when you ask the Lord to bless the food at lunch. And then pray about it when you go to bed. Just keep asking him. Keep asking him. Keep asking him. Ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. Our musicians are coming. I don't know what you need to come ask God for today. But I know he's got big pockets, and I know he's got a bigger heart, and he will take care of his people. Let's stand together today. As we respond, we're going to sing, and I would just encourage you, if you need to ask, just come ask. If there's something I can pray with you about, I'll ask him with you and ask him for you, if I can. But come ask and seek and knock.